you're basically putting this powder keg together of a situation that's going to be exploding in Q3 and Q4 this year. And so, you know, while I think ultimately it will be good for Bitcoin, it could be quite volatile on the up and the downside. Hello there. How are you all? I finally left Miami. Our trip has finished. I'm in New York. I'm filming for a film. And then I'm going to be flying back to bed for tonight. Can't wait. Can't wait to get home. But it's been an incredible trip. Also, we have just announced our first trip to Australia. Yes, September the 9th, we're going to be in Sydney. We're going to be recording our live show. If you want to get a ticket for that, head over to whatbitcoindid.com and click on WBD Live. Can't wait to get down under. Anyway, welcome to the What Bitcoin Did podcast, which is brought to you by Iris Energy, the largest NASDAQ-listed Bitcoin miner using 100% renewable energy. I'm your host, Peter McCormack, and today I've got an absolute banger for you. We dragged Arthur Hayes away from a bachelor party and sat down with him for an hour, got into money printing, debt jubilees, and an impending financial crisis. And also, we covered why he travels with a suitcase full of cuddly toys. Now, I know you're going to love this one. It is an absolute banger. If you've got any questions about this or anything else, you can drop me an email. It's hello at whatbitcoindid.com. You followed Wrexham? The, Wrexham. The team that um, Ryan Reynolds bought? No. Okay, so so you got the Premier League. Yep. You got Championship. Yeah. League One, League Two. That's the professional leagues. Yeah. And you go six down, that's where we started. Okay. But but we won the league last year, so we go up one. Yeah. And so, but we're a small little town. Right. We'll get you there. <laughs> are, there are there spending caps? Uh, th- there is. It's related to turnover, but we're sponsored by Bitcoin companies, so we, that doesn't affect us. Right, but I mean, you can't like go like, like yo, Ronaldo, like come play for this shitty team and yeah. let's get like, you know, go to <laughs> take it to the moon. There's financial fair play, but I don't think that actually starts till you're a little bit further up. Like you don't no, have that now. No, do we don't have that now. Yeah. We don't have that. The only thing we have now that came in this year is nobody associated with the club can bet on any football at all. That's a very US thing. Yeah, we got that. Anyway, you can see Arthur. Yeah, finally, finally. Yeah. Finally. <laughs> finally get you here. Um, how you been? Good. Very good. Yeah. Nice, nice weather, you know. Nice and hot. <laughs> all right, listen, we got some questions for you because uh when we when we found out we were interviewing you, we heard some rumors and we want to find out which are true. Ooh. Yeah. All right. First one. Did you take six Lambos to consensus? No. <laughs> like this, this conversation. No, then, the, the one like, was it 2018? Yeah. So what happened was, um, what, the person who ran our marketing department had a very good idea, I, I think, to do some guerrilla marketing. Because as you know, Advertising at these conferences is extremely expensive. You get into one of these conference rooms, every company under the sun is advertising. How do you stand out? You have people paying like, you know, tens of thousands of dollars to put their name on the banner on like the elevators and stuff. And so he was like, well, fuck that. Like, how do we actually stand out and not spend a lot of money? And so he rented a few Lamborghinis and parked them outside and put a BitMEX t-shirt in the in the dash. And, you know. Photos are happening, media hoopla, and then the Lambos drove away, and that was that. So I remember the pictures <laughs> of the Lambos like lined up outside. I call that one true. Yeah, that's true. That's true. <laughs> Not six, three. Three. Close enough. <laughs> cl- cl- close enough. We call that true. Okay. Uh, you, you and Nura Rabini are good friends. Absolutely not. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trolling you with that one. Though you follow him. Do I follow him on uh, Twitter? Yeah. Okay. I have to find a little. Actually, so we got a question about that. You only follow like 14 people. Yeah. And I'm one of them and we don't know why. I don't know why either. <laughs> <laughs> I don't I don't use social media much. Yeah. I like fuck around with it and then, you know. All right. Well, how about this? Uh, 
You travel with a suitcase of teddy bears. I do. That is true. Absolutely. <laughs> All right, come on. What's that about? I like plush. I like plush toys. I collect them, and so I have a hole in my various different residences. I have stashes on them. So a little suitcase, or a little bag, and I take a few of them everywhere I go. Are they like rare ones or something? No, not rare. I guess like a particular. I like the Jelly Cat brand. It's a UK plush toy brand, and then um, yeah, so take them around. Huh. Uh, okay, one more. You sleep hanging upside down. No. That's not true. All right. All right. We fuck with you enough. Right. Anyway, look. You been good? Yeah, absolutely. You're back? I'm back. Get some time with you? Yeah, for sure. So what are you working on? What are you doing these days? Uh, I am working on my fund. So mm-hmm. Maelstrom, which is basically a glorified family office. Um, there's a guy, Akshat, who's running around the world doing deals. You do early stage stuff. We're super interested in like infrastructure. We've made a bunch of plays and sort of ETH staking stuff so far. Taking a hard look at ordinals and how that market's going to play out. And just having a lot of fun investing in projects that are going to bring the whole space forward. And we want to make a fuck ton of money in the same same period of time. Like, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> fuck yeah. And like, where do you sit in the whole Bitcoin versus crypto? Because we read your newsletter. Yeah. And I'm, I'm trying to figure out, are you a Bitcoiner who makes money from crypto? Or like, do you believe in the whole thing? I believe that there's a few coins that actually have done some cool stuff like Bitcoin, Ethereum. I don't know. That's probably the the global two, right? And then you have a bunch of other like cool like apps like, you know, your Uniswaps, you know, GMX, some mm-hmm. of these things that have done cool primitives based on Ethereum. And then you have 99.9999% dog shit. But the dog shit is really, really fun to trade. Like, I love trading dog shit. <laughs> and you can make a lot of money trading dog shit. <laughs> All right, but it's like a test bed. People are experimenting with things. Some of it's a complete joke. Some of it's completely serious. But that's the whole point is that we're just letting people like have imaginations about how a you know financial, social, political system can be created purely on the internet. And so that's why I love it. And it's so much fun. And the people are so out there and it's just impassionate about what they do. And that's what that's why I love doing this. Man, should we be trading shit coins? Absolutely. We should be trading <laughs> shit coins. I every time I trade shit coins, I lose money. I gave up. But you have fun ago. doing it, right? Arthur's no. the one selling you the shit coin. <laughs> <laughs> Buy these fucking bags. Uh, no, I don't have fun when I'm losing. I, I had fun in 17 when we went up. That was fun, but um, yeah. So what do you make of like, because this obviously this is a Bitcoin show. We're just Bitcoiners. We're very serious. What do you make of that side of it? Like, do you, do you consider Bitcoin like a serious asset though? I think it's a serious asset. It's a serious experiment. Okay. We're experimenting. We're, we created together obviously we all didn't create the white paper um, or maybe you did i don't know maybe satoshi maybe <laughs> but we were having this experiment can we create a, a hard form of money by the, this consensus mechanism uh and these economic games that we're playing uh over the internet so far i think it's been successful right it's worth however many hundreds of billions of dollars of value i always look at things in energy terms take a look at bitcoin divided by the oil price bitcoin is worth more barrels of oil over time take a look at 20-year U.S. Treasury divided by the oil price, and the Treasury represents less bears of oil over time. So I think we're, you know, we're being successful at doing what we should do. The currency should maintain purchasing power in energy. All right. So I definitely think it's a serious thing. It solves a serious problem for people. Um, whether or not it's over the long term going to be successful, I don't know. But that's up to us, really. Ha! Huh. I've never heard anyone say that before. No, I've not. Hmm. In terms of pricing things against oil constantly. Yeah. Is that is that something you do across other assets? Uh yes, it's more of a mental construct. So I like think about like 
like our lives, right? We're sitting in this air-conditioned room in this nice house and, you know, drinking these beers and like every single thing, you know, speaking on these microphones is basically somebody as a company, a government, whoever, individuals came together, they found some potential energy in the earth and they converted rocks and stuff into these useful products that give us enjoyment. Uh, and so then everything is a derivative of how much energy it costs to to produce it. And so if you want to think about how you're going to save over time your wealth, you want to you know, either have a constant standard of living if you really like, you know, how your life is today, or you want to have an increasing standard of living. And all that's a function of energy and how much it costs to maintain that lifestyle. And so if I want to think about my portfolio, I want to make sure that the assets that I own, if I'm thinking about saving, are going to maintain purchasing power and energy, and right now that's hydrocarbons, over time. And if they don't, then I need to think about why do I own them? Maybe it's because I have to be in this particular jurisdiction and I have to hold this currency. Or it's like, I've just been thinking about it the wrong way and thinking about, okay, the price has gone up in dollar, euro, yuan, JPY terms. Not like, okay, have I maintained the same purchasing power of oil? Can I actually afford the same amount of energy in my lifestyle that I could yesterday with the money that I made from my job? And so that's what I think about my portfolio. And what kind of time frames are you looking at? Because these things fluctuate. I think it's a personal thing, right? So my my goal is, okay, I like the way I'm living. I want to keep living this way until I die. So how do I make sure that I optimize for that? Right. So other people say, well, I'm in a short term trade. Like, maybe I got to buy a house next year or there's some, something that they have to do. And so that's their time frame. Right. So everyone has their own personalized time frame. There is no one fits all investment strategy or like this, you know, global vision of how you should manage your money. Right. It's, it's a personalized thing. I think it's all just about having fun for you. Right. I love having fun. That's what life is about. Right. <laughs> that's what you're maintaining. <laughs> so um, we wanted to talk to you a little bit about. SBF, FTX, what happened there? You called to talk about that? Sure. Did you see it coming? No. You didn't? Why? How did he get away with this? Well, I think that's, let's first back up and think, okay, so when uh, the Alameda balance sheet got published, yeah. I remember I was like chatting with one of my my boys. He was like, did you see this Coindesk article? I was like, oh, no, I hadn't read it. So I, I looked through it. I was like, okay, you know, maybe their hedge fund is over leveraged. I had heard that Sam loves to trade shit coins and has blew up a few times before. So right. didn't put it past him that he blew up his hedge fund, like whatever. Um, but like what I did not expect is that he like went to the next level and said, yeah, I'm going to take eight to 15 billion US dollars of my company's exchanges funds. And this exchange is a profitable exchange held in high regard. I mean, we know that the tech was fugazi in the back end, but whatever. No, it worked. Right to the extent that we, you know, we we could see what was going on, and I'm like, well, there's no way that this guy, his hedge fund blows up. So what? Who cares? He lost his own money. Everybody blows up. Not a big deal, right? He wouldn't like compromise the functioning of his money printing machine, his his exchange, FTX, by you know commingling the funds or like taking billions of dollars and plugging holes. So I literally had this conversation with like one of my good friends who who runs a crypto hedge fund, and we're like, yeah, no, it's fine, it's cool. You know, all the stuff is good. And then in the back of my mind, I was like, well, you know what? I'm not going to take the chance. And, you know, I pulled all my money um, off of uh, off of the exchange just because, like, what's the point? Just, you know, wait a few days. It'll clear. If he's good, he's good. If he's not, he's not, right? Um, just how it works. But, yeah, I did not expect this. How good, how good was your timing? Uh, I think I got out within 12 hours of them closing things. Holy shit. Wow. <laughs> that is good timing. Fuck. Yeah, because we didn't see it coming. And I don't think many people saw it coming. Well, I guess it, you, there was... Forget what you saw coming the weekend before it happened. But if yeah. you see, like, 
you know, CZ Salsa's position. The first tell was when Caroline sent that tweet out, I defend this level. You never, ever tell anyone the level you defend publicly. If there is a level, she said and said, fuck all, and said, shut the fuck up and defend the level. But now everyone knew this is the level. I don't know what it was, $22 on FT, yeah, FTT yeah. or whatever 22, it was. I think it was 22, 22. Yeah. And they're like, okay, well, what's the market going to do? It's going to test that level. How, how big is your stack? And she didn't have the biggest stack. And it was game over from there. What I could never figure out is they had the hedge fund. They had all the alpha from the exchange, knew everything that people were trading, and they still blew up. I, I, I'm not a trader, but is that not mind-blowing? From the little snippets that I've read of people's Twitters of like, you know, John Ray and the bankruptcy court, it sounded like the operation was complete Mickey Mouse, right? Everyone thought he was this, you know, Jane Street badass trader, but no, no accounting system, no reconciliation of P&L, no concept of like risk management. Like this is just trading 101, right? If you don't like, I don't know if he ever managed his own book to a big degree, but like, I remember my boss sat me down one day uh, and he basically told me everything is your fault. If IT fucks up and you lose money, your fault. Like, and you get a culture of understanding, like, there is nothing that you don't have a handle on. That's your PL you sign off uh, at the end of the day and you own it, right? And so I don't think he ever had that sort of ethos about how he traded and he was sloppy. Uh, how did he kind of get away with it though? Because when you see massive funds investing hundreds of millions in, my assumption at times is like, they're going to take a board seat and they're going to be checking that there's like certain things in place like risk management proper accountancy proper reporting well I, well i'm not super into like how silicon valley you know large vc funds do dd but they obviously don't do that much of it i think a lot of the time you know think about 2020 2021 you're in this vc fund got a fuck ton of money right because fed and every other central bank is printing money got all these subscriptions you you have to deploy money you've been told okay i have a crypto bucket deploy and so then along comes sam he looks like all the other dudes that you invest in, you know, went to the same schools, you know, parents did whatever they did. And you're like, okay, cool. This guy yeah. looks like me, talks like me. I understand him. Here's $100 million or whatever the checks they were, they were writing. I'm never going to get fired for investing in Sam. Because hmm. at the end of the day, as an as investment manager, the number one thing you want to do is make sure you don't lose your job. Because you get paid a lot of money to do fuck all. And so… <laughs> <laughs> And so, like, maintaining that, like, awesomely nice lifestyle means that, like, if you make a mistake, making a mistake isn't a bad, isn't a bad thing. Everybody makes mistakes. Mm. Everybody loses money. You know, that's not a big deal. But you don't want to lose money in the thing that everyone else told you you would lose money in because that's how you lose your job. So investing in Sam Bakeman Freed was a way to get into crypto. And if he, and you would never lose your job for investing in FTX because he did all the right things. He said all the right you know, said all the right things. He looked the right way, had the right background. Like, you're not going to get fired for investing in him. Would you get fired as a, you know, American VC fund by investing in a scrappy exchange located in, like, Hong Kong or, like, some country that Americans can't pronounce? Absolutely, you lose your job for that if that guy was a scam artist, right? right. So that's why I think that the, the DD and the whole mind frame, people have already conned themselves before Sam even got in and started talking his bullshit. This show is brought to you by Ledin. From savings accounts to personal loans and even mortgages, Ledin's financial services enable Bitcoiners to experience the benefits of holding today without selling their Bitcoin. Ledin has a robust risk management strategy which always prioritizes safeguarding clients' assets with no DeFi yield farming. And Ledin only supports Bitcoin and USDC, two of the highest quality and most liquid assets in the industry. 
They also are dedicated to transparency and are the first digital asset lending company to complete a proof of reserves attestation, which they re-verify every six months. With multilingual support on standby 24-7, Ledin is there to support all your needs. To find out more, please head over to ledin.io, which is L-E-D-N dot I-O. Also, today we have Ledger. Now, Ledger is the world leader in Bitcoin security and is the best way to own and secure your private keys. If you're still holding Bitcoin on an exchange or with a custodian, it might be the time to take your security more seriously. Remember, not your keys, not your Bitcoin. Now, Ledger hardware wallets paired with the Ledger Live app are the easiest and safest way to start managing your own private keys. You can send and sign your Bitcoin transaction with full transparency in the Ledger Live app. And honestly, look, it could not be easier. I have been a Ledger user since 2017. I love their products. and I'm still using the same hardware device I bought back then. Now, if you want to find out more or purchase a hardware wallet from Ledger, then please head over to shop.ledger.com, which is S-H-O-P dot L-E-D-G-E-R.com. Next up, we have Iris Energy. Now, Iris Energy is the largest NASDAQ-listed Bitcoin miner using 100% renewable energy. Their strategy is to target markets with low-cost, excess renewable energy, and they build out their own highly efficient Bitcoin data centers. They are led by a seasoned management team with a track record of success across renewables, infrastructure, and digital assets. Now, Danny and I met the team recently in Canada and were super impressed with their values, which align with us. So they are a great fit for what Bitcoin did and you, the listeners. Now, we are going to be working with the Iris Energy team on everything we do from podcasts to films and live events. And they are even sponsoring my football team, Rail Bedford. I'm really, really happy to be working with such a forward-thinking and sustainable Bitcoin company. But if you want to find out more about them, please head over to irisenergy.co, which is I-R-I-S-E-N-E-R-G-Y.co. And how do you think it'll play out? In terms of? Like, what's going to happen now in terms of, like, Sam and then in future exchanges? Because it looks like, like, the sad, the sad side of it was, is we were having a good year. <laughs> like, times were good, and then everything blew up. Like, Luna, they blew up. Yeah, uh, we're now in a situation where like, there's a massive re- regulatory lens on everything that happens in this industry. So, do you think do you think this is one of the examples going to use to kind of like clamp down on us all, or do you not even worry about that? I think that this was a validation of decentralization. The companies that failed and the people that were at the helm of these companies were all centralized things, right? Yeah, Fioros, Celsius. Um, Genesis, uh, all those people, FTX, right? It's all centralized things. What do they do? They took a bunch of money, they levered it, and they bought shit coins. Or they took a bunch of money, they levered it, and then they led it to other idiot traders, right? And that's how they lost all their money and blew up their businesses. Okay, yeah, the crypto market cap went down because of that, because a lot of that, you know, these things were inflated higher, but Uniswap still worked, Ethereum still worked, Bitcoin still worked. The quality projects that actually built real things worked perfectly fine. And we literally lost, what, 60% of value in like three months? Mm. Think of that happened in like the S&P. Imagine the S&P one day opened and it was down, you know, 50% because JP Morgan went bankrupt. Something like that, right? Like some institution you would have thought would never have failed has now declared bankruptcy. Nobody gets their money. Markets are going crazy. Right? Does this does the you know Western financial system still work? Absolutely fucking not, right? But our system worked. No bailouts. Everybody took their humble pie, took their medicine. Um, some people lost a lot of money. It's unfortunate. But at the end of the day, the market kept ticking. And that's what we're here. Huh. Yeah, I mean, look, it, 
I guess it was like a kick in the teeth for a lot of people. Uh, and it's really sad. Like a lot of people lost a lot of money. Yeah. That, that, that is sucks. But I guess you're right. I mean, Bitcoin still produces another blog every 10 minutes. We keep going. We learn our lessons from it. Um, but I do kind of still worry about like the future exchanges. That's like our onboarding, our offboarding. It's like there's a lot of pressure on them now. And I just think it like really didn't help. But you know, maybe, I don't know, do you worry about regulation coming in on these exchanges? Do you worry about what will happen to likes of Coinbase? They've been flirting with this idea of maybe not being here in the US. I mean, I don't I think Coinbase will be fine. Yeah. Um, everything's a cycle, right? There's a, oh no, Bitcoin in XYZ jurisdiction is getting challenged. Everyone moves over here, right? And then there's people are in this country for a while. They don't know. They don't like us. So we're going to move back over here, right? And so you just go around and in this circle. And then hopefully over time, the amount of people who have heard about crypto increases. Because at the end of the day, we're an attention game. It doesn't matter what, what the price is. It needs to move. We need people to either just make a decision. We don't care if you don't like it or like it, but at least have the cogniz- cognizant decision-making, I don't like Bitcoin because of whatever. I like Bitcoin because of whatever. We don't want to be ignored. Ignore Being ignored is the worst form of anything. That means that nothing will progress. Yeah, that's, I can't remember who said it. Like, the worst thing about being talked about is not being talked about. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if you're thinking about that currency that needs to have a network to be valuable, if nobody's heard about it, you're worthless. So even if there's you know, all these bad things happening. If just people know what Bitcoin is and then maybe something in their life happens and they change it. Maybe you're a Russian oligarch and you thought you were super wealthy and then all of a sudden because, you know, you got rugged because, you know, some dude that you have no affiliation with launched a war and you're like, oh, I understand now. I thought I owned that asset, but I'm just a renter. And the landlord said, no mas. And no, I have no, I longer, no longer have my boat, my, you know, my fancy apartment, my house, my bank account. I get what these Bitcoin guys are talking about. So essentially, it's the same for him then as the people who held their money on in, on FTX and got rugged. It's yeah. just any chance to get rugged, you need to be looking at something else. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, by the way, we've, we've got a nickname for you. <laughs> we call you Arthur Damas. Arthur Damas. Yeah, we call <laughs> you, you Arthur Damas. So we're fucking idiots though, because we read your newsletter. We're like, look what Arthur says. Arthur says this is going to happen. So, oh, I'm not sure. I'm not going to do it. And then it happens. So we've got this. We've we think you've got this ability, like uh, Neo in the Matrix. <laughs> we see the code. You see what's going to happen. How do you always know what's going to happen? Like, how do you? H- how come you can read the market so well? I mean, I get a lot of things wrong. Like, I'm, I I try to look at like longer term trends, and then my whole thing is just like take things to their logical conclusion, and like try to empathize with the people who are making these decisions. Like like these baking, all this baking stuff that's happening in the U.S. and other markets. Like put yourselves in the shoes of a politician, right? You want to get reelected. What do you need to do to get reelected? Give out free shit, right? Free shit costs money. What do you do when you can't afford stuff? Print it, right? It's just standard. And if you study enough history, you see that nothing that's happening today with how, you know, you know, the ruling empires of the world are debasing their currencies. It's all happened before. It's slightly different and the circumstances might, you know, be a bit different, but. This is the play that we've been running over and over and over and over again. And so if you read enough history, like, okay, I can see what they're doing. I see the the motivations. I can see how this ends. Uh, and thankfully, now we have something like Bitcoin and this whole ecosystem where we can actually take a, you know, take our money out of that system and say, okay, yes, this is risky. It's volatile. It's whatever. But I'm solving for this 
risk that happens in every single large you know, civilization over time. And maybe I'm going to be better off for taking this decision. So you, your, your main thesis is like, every, everyone's going to print everywhere. Yes. I don't care if you're a democracy, fascism, communism. Every single large nation state has the same construct of their banking system to a large degree. Everybody has the same problem. U.S. has too much debt. China has too much debt. Japan has too much debt. Europe has too much debt. Every major country has, you know, we've decided that we want to have less kids because we like living in cities and doing whatever. We don't live on farms, right? And so you have less people working. So if you have less humans consuming things, but you pile out a bunch of debt in the last 50 years, there's just not enough people to pay for it. And so what do you do? You print the difference. You know, or you could say, yes, yeah, some strong politician could stand up and say, you know what, everybody? I'm sorry, but your, your uncles and your fathers, they fucked you. They took out all this debt. And unfortunately, you know, they had a good time, but now we're going to have to make some changes. And you, that Social Security, you're not getting that. That free college education, sorry, can't afford that anymore. That's not the message that gets you reelected. They're never going to do that. Never. They tried that in the UK. We went through this austerity period in the UK that last, uh, the conservatives tried it for about two years and everyone hated them. Everyone fucking hated them. But the flip side, yeah, we had the, um, who was the Labour guy? Corbyn? Yeah. He tried to print, he tried to offer loads of shit for free and nobody believed him. You can push it too far. For sure. No one believed him because he was saying, I'm going to give you this for free and that for free and this for free. And he still didn't get elected. So you push it too far. But like if you're studying history and you're saying this has all happened before, doesn't now feel particularly bad? Like one of the worst situations? Yeah. I mean, if you, you know, 5,000 years of interest rate history, we've had, it was at the peak in 2021, it was 18 trillion US dollars of negatively yielding debt. That's like, means you've inverted time, right? <laughs> it's like what <laughs> these like so you're telling me these like you know economist motherfuckers figured out a way to like invert time and we're going to like go against the natural order of things and physics doesn't apply okay sure um so I, it's just obvious what's going to happen on a long enough time frame right the the short-term market moves can catch you off guard and if you're using too much leverage your position sizing is wrong then, yes, you're going to have to be staring at your phone, babysitting your Bitcoin uh, and making sure that you're reading the tea leaves correctly. But taking a longer term, higher level view, I think the path is clear. Now, whether or not Bitcoin or some of these other cryptos perform in that scenario is yet to be seen. However, the end game, we know what's going to happen. Which is? Exactly. Print money. But yeah, but do you, think it, do you think they print to the point of being unsustainable and collapse? I would say probably. Okay. Because? Because there's nothing, because we've, we had a 2008 crisis, right? Mm -hmm. What was that? You know? 850 billion. Or whatever, however many, and then, you know, trillions left, you know, after that, right? Has anyone learned any lessons? COVID hits, what happens? You know, governments print a bunch of money, the central banks buy it. You know, Fed being the most egregious of, of all of them in terms of like money printing. And now they've exacerbated the problems they all know they have. It's not like these guys are dumb, right? They're very smart people. They've talked about it in many papers. We, we know that we have this problem in the future. If we print all this money, how do we take it out of the system without it causing, you know, bad effects? Now they think they're, they're going to, you know, super smart and they can figure it out and they're going to have enough time to do it. So it's like a lot of people who know they have a problem, they know they got to fix it eventually, but they think they're so smart that they can time the market and the market's not going to inflict pain on them. 
And the market's going to only act in a very linear fashion. It's not going to throw a curveball like, you know, all the regional banks failing or, you know, something else. Like somebody starts a war somewhere and price of oil goes up, right? And now you have energy inflation, which completely screws up everything, right? So there's a lot of people who know they have a problem, but they think they're smart enough to solve it. And so what kind of timeframes are you working to? Do you, do you consider in weeks, years, decades? you do it all? Uh, I, I think look at more like cycles. Okay. Right? So I think this cycle is a, you know, we got the halving next year, 2024. I think that's going to be a good year. I think, I don't think we get up to 70,000 this year. I think okay. next year is when, you know, we, we cross that barrier. And then we get the blow off top 25, 26. And then it's Armageddon. Armageddon. <laughs> is that is that Armageddon everywhere or in Bitcoin? I think it's more of a societal Armageddon. Now, okay. I'm sure Bitcoin will go down too, but it's more like, okay, do we have a major war? Do we have, you know, when you have all these, print all this money and have all this social discontent around the world, you get things that happen. And it might not be the thing we all think is going to happen. This, you know, World War I was started by the assassination of some like random minor royal, right? So like... And then that everybody's treaties triggered, and boom, millions of you know young men died around the world. So it doesn't necessarily have to be super straightforward. It's just we have the situation. We have this tinderbox of too much money, no trust, and people trying to eke out a living for themselves. Oh, we can just laugh about it and trade some Pepe coins. Pepe <laughs> coins. Did you buy Pepe coin? I have not bought any Pepe coin. You didn't buy. I no. thought you'd have bought Pepe. Coin. I got Royal Pepe's, but I don't have any Pepe coin. Oh man. Um, so I think me and Danny are basically trying to say, what the fuck should we do? <laughs> <laughs> we don't know what to do. We're not traders. Uh, we're long Bitcoin, that's for sure. We're not trading shit coins. But we worry a little bit about the choke point stuff now. Do you think about that much? Not particularly. I mean, every system, it's one of those things, right? It's If you recognize that at some point in the future, this system's untenable. What happens when systems are untenable? You know, powers that be try to close the exits, right? And so you, you can still buy Bitcoin. Okay, maybe it's not as easy as it was before. But you know you know the problem that's going to happen in the future. You know what the authorities do when they have a problem. They lock the doors. And they say, you know, stay in here, please. <laughs> <laughs> and pretty please might be an M16 to your head. Um, <laughs> uh, and so, but you can still get out now. So waiting until there's no other option that's just like, well, what did you expect? You have an opportunity right now. Take what you can afford, buy some asset that's outside of the system. Maybe that's Bitcoin, maybe that's gold, maybe it's property in a particular location, maybe it's an unlevered cash flow generating business, whatever it is. Whatever you think that's outside of the particular financial system that you might not be able to access in the near future if what you believe to be true in the future actually happens. So you're thinking financial and jurisdictional. Um, I mean, I, you got to live somewhere. So optimize for where you are. But at, at the end of the day, right, you, you can buy Bitcoin today. It's hard. Maybe it's, it's really hard in some places. It's really easy in some places. But you can do it. And you can move to places where it's easier. Right. So do it. Stop, stop complaining that, oh, it's, it's getting harder, right? Okay, well, why is it getting harder? Yes, there's a problem and they're in their own way trying to fix it. And so you should, you know, if they're going left, you go right. <laughs> See, we know this, Arthur. We get it. We're doing it. Yeah, we're protecting ourselves. But I can't even convince my best friends. They- and again, and, that, and that's the point I always make. Like most, most people will not buy Bitcoin. Period. They will go down with a sinking ship. 
that doesn't mean the price doesn't go up fantastically, right? It's a small door. A lot of money. How I many? What's I don't know. What's Global MT? Hundreds of trillions, right, yeah. of debt in the world. Bitcoin is worth what four or five hundred billion or whatever mm. it is at, at the current market cap. Not all. Never. Not everyone gets saved. Nobody. Not everybody makes it into Noah's Ark. Um, unfortunately, a lot of people are going to drown. <laughs> <laughs> Terrifying. <laughs> <laughs> um, that um, BTFP by the fucking print. It. It kind of. It kind of felt like something big was coming, and then it didn't. It kind of felt like we were on the verge of a lot of banks collapsing, and they kind of didn't. Are we through that, or do you do you still think there's like risk there? So they've again they they made it. They had a clever solution that solved one part of the risk. Any bank that held U.S. Treasuries and more MBS securities, mortgage-backed securities, cool. But there's a whole lot of other banks, the ones that actually power the American economy, that don't have that on their balance sheet. Like, you know, as I've written about, the large banks are the ones who own a lot of treasuries and mortgage-backed securities. It's the smaller banks that actually power, you know, heart and soul of the American economy. They've got, you know, office buildings, restaurants, personal mm-hmm. loans, car loans, all these things that, you know, the Fed doesn't want on their balance sheet. Fed's like, you know, well, I, I know they run a $1 trillion, like, unrealized loss in their books. But, again, they're in the business of making money, too. And so, they're like, mm, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I don't know if I want that office building. <laughs> Maybe you keep that. But I'll take these U.S. treasuries. Uh, and so the problem is still there. Now, if interest rates were much lower and it's not like, you know, I can just deposit some money in my brokerage account and I can get 5% in a money market fund. I can lend my money to the U.S. government and I get 5%. Or I can go lend my money to the bank and I get, what, 50 basis points, 0.5%. Mm-hmm. So, like, as people start to realize this and they pull out their phone and they go, oh, I can 10x my interest income. I just got to click five times. Why would you stay in a bank? And so the problem is still there. They haven't solved the problem. The market's kind of, you know, saw the one issue. Oh, yeah, you, you put a little solution together. It's kind of inflationary. Cool. We're going to, you know, it's summertime. Let's chill out. You know, in the fall, once the debt ceiling is resolved, once you've had another, you know, six months of how many billions of dollars are going to walk from the bank and lend their money to the U.S. government and get 10x their money in terms of interest income. It's going to be billions. And you're going to have come into September, October, and all of a sudden the market's going to rediscover this problem that we already knew existed, which was, oh, fucking shit. Hundreds of billions of dollars have continued to move from all of these smaller banks into accounts at the Fed and in U.S. Treasury uh, Treasury T bills, and then these banks are going to start getting slaughtered again. So, so cutting rates could help because it would stop people moving money out of the banks, right? But the problem is that there's a political issue of cutting rates because inflation is still high. So it was four point nine percent in the last print, but not you in know, the UK, still ten percent. Yeah, exactly. So, like all the while, all the central banks want to cut. They know that they have this inflation thing, and this inflation thing is a widespread issue. Everybody gets pissed off about inflation and they can't hide from it. Mm. It's there. And so they're like, well, what do we do? Like the banking system, we know we have this problem. They're not dumb. They see all the same, they read all the same stuff that we do. They know exactly what the problem is, but they have this political issue of, but if we cut rates and we juice markets and inflation doesn't go down, we're going to be accused of just slaughtering the common man over this cross of inflation to save the big bad banks. So it's kind of like, what do you choose? Save the banking system, fight inflation with high rates. This show is brought to you by Wasabi, who I am using to keep my Bitcoin private. 
Now, Wasabi is the easiest way to send and receive Bitcoin privately. And even for non-technical people like me, it is effortless and provides privacy by default. Now, with Wasabi, there is no minimum amount, so you can get started coin joining straight away. And Wasabi users make coin join transactions together with BTC Pay and Trezor users, and BTC Pay server users can make payments in CoinJoin, which saves on fees and is a privacy improvement. Also, Wasabi have just dropped a new feature. Now, Trezor Suite users can make coin joins directly on the hardware wallet, which is obviously very cool. Now, if you want to find out more, please head over to wasabiwallet.io, which is W A S A B I W A L L E T.io. Also, today we have BitCasino. Now, BitCasino was established in 2013 and is the world's first licensed Bitcoin casino. It is trusted by tens of thousands of players worldwide. And not only do they have cutting-edge security, but they offer fast withdrawals and VIP experiences that money can't buy. BitCasino also has over 2,800 games and tournaments to try out. And with 24-7 live chat support, you can always get the help you need. To find out more, please head over to bitcasino.io, the first Bitcoin casino to win an EGR award. That is bitcasino.io, which is B-I-T-C-A-S-I-N-O dot I-O. And please remember to gamble responsibly. Also, today, we have Unchained Now. If you've been listening to my show for a while, you'll know I'm a big fan of saving Bitcoin for the long term. I'm a hodler, which is why I'm happy to recommend the Unchained IRA. Their Bitcoin IRA lets you control the keys to your tax-advantaged Bitcoin, and if you have a Roth IRA, that means you don't pay capital gains on the price appreciation. Now, unfortunately, most IRA providers require that you give up control of your Bitcoin, but not with Unchained. Controlling your keys with the Unchained IRA protects you from exchange hacks or frozen accounts, and Unchained is an all-in-one solution. They'll help you establish a traditional or Roth IRA, set up your cold storage vault, roll over your existing 401k or IRA, and if you want one-on-one guidance, their concierge team will send you devices and walk you through setting up and securing your keys at your own pace. If you want to set up your IRA today, head over to unchained.com forward slash what Bitcoin did or schedule a complimentary consultation to learn more. That is unchained.com forward slash what Bitcoin did, which is U-N-C-H-A-I-N-E-D dot com forward slash what Bitcoin did. And if you want to get $50 off, please use the promo code what Bitcoin did at the checkout. What would you do? What do you think they should do? What's like the right thing to do? Because a lot of people get fucked, right? Like inflation's in the UK is really high. And Look, we we survive it. We're fine, but there's a lot of people we I know struggling, and it feels really unethical what they're doing. Well, I mean, what it's so this is you know back in Roman times and in Greece. I, forget, I don't know if he was a yes, was it Solon? Um, debt jubilee. It's a very f- common feature in a lot of um, large civilizations. You have a period of excess build up. And then there's a leader who comes in and essentially expunges debt, right? Now, rich people hate this. Of course. Right? <laughs> right? They hate it when, yeah, I lend money to all these plebs. And here's this guy. I thought he was one of us. And he's coming in here and say, well, if we want to write society and actually have, you know, you know a productive, cohesive society, we're, we need to relieve the debt burden of those who are less fortunate. And they would do a debt jubilee. Now, unfortunately, a lot of these leaders get assassinated by their peers because those in charge don't like don't like it when the money that they've lent out does not earn an interest rate. So a debt jubilee, you know, student loan debt forgiveness, mortgages forgiveness, 
write it all off. Again, that's going to really... You're going to have to write off... The, the debt's going to get paid anyways, right? It's a, it's a political decision. So the po- people in charge politically have to decide who pays the loss. There's a loss there. They're not going to get away from get away from it. Somebody's got to pay it. And so depending on the part- particular political structure, you get maybe you're going to get some strong leader who's going to come in and say, okay, we're going to disadvantage people who have a lot of money versus people who don't, and we're going to expunge debt. Is that... I know, like, theoretically, it's popular. It's, it's possible. But is it actually possible? Of course it's possible. They could, they could actually implement that. It, if we write... It, is, laws are just, are just things written down on a piece of paper by humans. So a bunch of, if we all decide today that the law is this, then the law is this. If we decide tomorrow the law is that, the law is that. Right? There's no reason why we can't do it. It's literally... It's a political issue. Where, where are those large pockets of debt? Where, where are they kind of sat? And how do, what are what are they specifically writing off? Well, there's there's lots of government debt. There's lots of you know social welfare programs that that people have you know signed up to pay for, and in particular governments. And then you have the things that people own, you know, household debt, you know, credit card debt, auto loan debt, mortgages, those sorts of things, student loans, depending on you know your particular jurisdiction, right? So you you have pockets of people who have a debt. You can choose to relieve that debt or not relieve that debt. It's up to you. And what happens to the businesses that would fail in the back of that? And that's and that's a, that's a political issue, right? It's like, okay, am I okay with this cohort of these financial system or or society being worse off? Because there's no there's no way to unless we're going to discover some massive new form of really productive energy and deploy it immediately. There is no way of no someone's paying the, the cost. Inflation, businesses go bust. Got to choose. There's no, there's no good answer for this. Has, has it's it all ha- bad decisions. Yeah. Is it? Is it ever happened in modern times? Like, if, is there ever been a recent debt jubilee? Because the example you gave, I think, was like Roman times. Yeah. Like, has there been any examples? I'm sure there have. I can't really think of one off the top of my head. But people are. This is not. A, is that, is that something that we don't understand in the human fabric of of civilization of debt jubilee? Yeah. But it, but who. I've not heard anyone talk about. I mean, you're talking about it. Well, the, the in the U.S. there is talk of uh, student loan forgiveness. I've seen that one in, in the U.S. And again, so what happened? So, and I think the Biden administration floated this idea out there that they were going to forgive student loans, and you had certain people up in outrage, understandably so. Like, I paid all my debt. Why are these guys? You know, why why do they get their debt unpaid for? And then you had I lent money. Why, why are you abrogating my contracts and taking away my income? Again, valid concern, right? And it's a political decision. Who is strong enough politically to enforce a loss on one sector of society? I, I don't know if I'm getting this wrong, but in that case, is that a jubilee or were they going to print money to pay off the debt? Or is it the same thing? Well, if, you owe, if, if the government, if you owe it to the federal government, they basically say, okay, boom, you don't have to pay it anymore. That's okay. a debt jubilee. That, that seems like an easier one for the for the government to write it off, just say, forget the debt, you owe us. But if you debt jubilee against, I don't know, institutions, banks who are owed money, could those banks collapse? For sure, absolutely. And then just loan them money to start a new one. Or, I mean, or you, you know, what happens in a true bankruptcy situation, the creditors take over the bank. It's not like, if the bank goes bust, like, okay, cool, depositors, you took a risk by invest, putting your money in this bank, you know, you're going to take a haircut, but now you own a portion of it. So what are you going to do with this bank, right? That's how things are supposed to work. There's no painless situation. It's just that today we've all decided in just about every major country in the world that we don't want to ever have anyone lose any money. 
And so now in any situation where there's distress, we turn to the printing press and say, oh, no, don't worry about it. We got you. You made a bet, you know, market didn't go your way, but we're here with the government. We're here to help. We're going to put some money and make you whole. But, and in the beginning, that everyone feels really great. But now towards the end of, you know, 80 years since World War II of all this accumulation of debt, it's becoming harder and harder to do that. And the consequences are becoming even more dire. It's like that Dan Tubb conversation. We interviewed this guy and he was talking about, you know, since World War II, Western nations essentially become insurance companies. They don't allow anything to go wrong for anyone. Everyone will fix every mistake in your life. Yeah. And he said, that is, that's what's compounded all these issues. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, if the, is there a kind of game of chicken that goes on with this, though? Because if the U.S. was to have a big debt jubilee, I don't know what happens to ratings, but you know, we are seeing these kind of shifts. We've, uh, we've had Lynn Alden on the show a few mm-hmm. times, and she's talked to us a lot about you know, the rise of the BRICS nations and people trying to escape from like dollar dominance. Do you, is there a geopolitical risk to a debt jubilee? For sure, depending on who you're impacting, right? If so, let's say that uh, you know some politician in the U.S. said, "Okay, all debt owned by a country X." Uh, is no longer payable. We've just lowered our debt burden by Y, right? Whatever that amount is, right? You could do that. It's perfectly within their right to do. It's not to selectively choose to repay people, but then obviously, then why would anyone else invest in, hold your currency or invest in your, your bonds, right? So it's, you can do everything, you can do anything you want, but there's a consequence to the action. <laughs> Whether or not you like the consequence is, is the question at hand. Yeah, that's that's the kind of like the geopolitical side to it that I, I think uh, debt jubilee is possible, but the U.S. wants to maintain for as long as it can this kind of yeah. Dollar it's thing. built a, a reputation of you know contract is a contract is a contract is a contract. Cool. All right. Well, if you pile on a bunch of debt, then there's consequences to that. The people actually care. I don't know. I think that most people don't really know what's going on, Arthur. That's the problem. Yeah, none of my friends at home have got any idea what is going on. They've got no idea. They don't understand what causes inflation. They don't understand. But no one understands debt. what causes inflation. Is that true? I mean, obviously, it's a monetary phenomenon. There's also all sorts of different factors at play. Inflation rates are very volatile when you start going up a lot. Like, there's a cool chart that I think Luke Roman always posts of uh, the price of gold in the Weimar Republic. And it's like this. It's like a... Yeah. <laughs> it's like I a seesaw. I mean. Yeah. Even though, even though in the end, you know, it got devalued massively. If you traded that, you could have gotten wrecked, even though you had the I mean, right. You call. would have done. You would have got wrecked. It goes up and yeah. down like hundreds of. Like yeah. Hundreds yeah. Of yeah. Yeah. And that's that's the risk we're in, in, entering into. Because I think it might have been Luke or somebody else said, if you look at the charts now, most charts on modern markets, they look like early Weimar. It looks like we're about to go yo-yo. You know, they want to defeat inflation. They raise interest rates. Interest rates fuck people, so they drop them. Then we get more inflation because they print more. And so it feels like we're yo-yoing into like, but you you think wow, we're not gonna we're not gonna be like Weimar here in the West, but it feels like we could. Have that it depends way. on the country, right? I've, I think I've written previously. Like everyone's like, oh, the U.S. is gonna have hyperinflation, blah blah blah. I, was like, I don't think so. I mean, the U.S. has sufficient food supply, sufficient energy supply. Um, two neighbors who supply them either with energy, Canada or labor, Mexico, right? And so they're fine. They can be, they can be an autarky. If, if the country wants to be, doesn't have to be. Other countries like Europe are kind of fucked, right? They, <laughs> they, think, they think they're America, but then they continually find out that they're absolutely not um, and, you know, have all sorts of misguided energy policies and don't have the base stuff, right? You know, so again, depends on who you are, where you are. 
It's like in Europe, they bet on world peace and they've just feel like figured out that's not happening. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. I mean, we've had that in the UK. I mean, our energy bills are unfucking believable. They're, you know, people's bills have, uh, was it quintupled? I don't know. Uh, you know, people who used to pay a thousand pound a year are paying five thousand pound a year for their energy prices. And we're having to source our energy in the UK from uh, France, from their nuclear power. We don't, I think we're, Three nuclear stations in the UK. They haven't commissioned any. Like, it is no, there's a, sh- a new one coming in the UK. It's Hinkley Point. Oh, Hinkley Point. In a few years, yeah. But they've been talking. I'm pretty sure they were talking about that when I was at school. <laughs> <laughs> no, it, it, that's going to be. I think it goes live in like 27. But it's it's underway. They're making it. Do you, do you think you know? Obviously, you look in terms of cycles. So you you're thinking in Bitcoin cycles, which is which we think about. But there's also like larger societal cycles. Um, you know, we we are heading to the point where pot- potential collapse of currencies and and such. Do you think do you think we'll ever learn, or do you think this is just human nature forever, and we're all fucking idiots? I don't know. Maybe our AI overlords are going to introduce some interesting new you know political systems in our in our world. I don't know. I mean, obviously we've progressed as societies over time. It just everything is very path dependent, right? Being born, you know, in you know nineteen whatever, and you had to serve in World War II in whatever country you're from, that kind of sucked. Being born in 1955, 1916, being part of the richest generation in human history, the baby boomers, kind of awesome, right? Being born in the 1990s and 2000s, maybe might kind of suck, you know. <laughs> does, does it suck? You might have to head off to World War Three. Yeah, <laughs> that'd be fought by robots. You're ready, aren't you? Yeah. <laughs> have you played with AI much? What do you think of that? We I have... haven't played with. It. I've read a lot of stuff about it, but I, you know, I haven't played enough with uh, ChatGPT or some of these other things. I mean, I think it's going to be extremely disruptive, mm-hmm. extremely amazing at the same point in time. Um, I actually gave a lecture at MIT a few weeks ago, and the thesis was why AIs will use Bitcoin. And that's that's an AI. It's a series of essays that I need to write oh, over the summer. You don't need to write them. <laughs> <laughs> no, but you don't. You could get AI to write them. Yeah, but yeah, that's not fun. Yeah, but that's isn't isn't that the fun bit of it? Well, I guess the you know I think in terms of what Maslow's hierarchy of needs, right? So. You know, most people have enough to eat, they can reproduce, they've got shelter, blah, blah, blah. So the next port is self-actualization of who you are as a person, which essentially, in my view, is art, right? And so if you have AI who lowers the cost of doing all the things that just keep us going, then we create a whole society of artists, whether that's you play a sport, you play an instrument, you cook, you draw, whatever it is, whatever non-productive thing that you do that's purely for enjoyment to express who you are as a person, that's a society that we could have. Or we could have a society of like extremely wealthy companies or individuals, everybody else toiling. I don't know what the fuck they're doing. Um, and it's a, you know, clash, right? It's not set in stone. This could be a good thing. It could be a bad thing. It really depends. Could we get both? Pro- probably. I think it's, a lot of it's going to depend on a particular, you know, nation state and how their political fabric works and how decisions get made and what sort of regulations they put in place. And do they have universal basic income? Can they afford to have universal basic income? Do they have a technology or manufacturing sector that's very AI complementary? Or are they like some nations which their only value add is to export cheap labor around the world to do menial tasks? At which point you're like, well, I don't need you anymore. I've got AI with robotics. Why do I need to import labor from Southeast Asia and you know wherever, right? And so you're going to have whole pockets of the world that are just completely irrelevant. 
and that's going to be very disruptive because I think the you know these migration cycles are going to get very heated. Um, you know, if if country A, if across the border there's universal basic income and everybody's got a nice apartment and, you know, you can be an artist, you can go out to nice restaurants and enjoy the fruits of human civilization. And literally across the border, you know, you live in a dirt hut because we don't need you anymore. And and your country never really advanced up the manufacturing cycle. Well, then you're going to try to move across that border. But then they're like, well, fuck that. I don't want more people coming in here, right? And Mm. so you're going to have, it's going to be very contentious. The, um, you know, do you know? Have you heard of BT, British Telecom? I don't know if you'd know them. I've, I mean, I've heard of the company. They're like our Verizon in yeah. the UK. They've just announced that fifty-five thousand jobs are being axed to replace by AI. Um, uh, we we're using it. We're actively using it all the time. The the speed of change is like kind of crazy. What I what I think about is like, wait, fuck. If if all, I mean, what was the conversations today? The Levi's won't need models because they can AI generate everything. Uh, it's going to kill the porn industry because you don't need porn stars because you can generate AI on the on the fly. You can doctors. You don't need doc. You don't need the analyst because AI will do a better job of interpreting MRIs. Like, like all through society is a whole like it's unbelievable amount of jobs are going to go. The speed at which it happens and the, how governments can react. That's the bit that scares me. Exactly. Yeah. Just need Bitcoin again. Of course. I mean, that, I, I gotta. It's, it's, I know my audience, right? <laughs> you know the, what the answer to every fucking problem is when you read my essays. It's just that you want to like you know enjoy yourself by reading the conclusion that you know I'm gonna have at the end, anyways. Yeah. Answer to everything is buy Bitcoin. Arthur, look, appreciate you coming in, man. This it's is good great. to finally meet you. Um, we're gonna let you get back to your uh, bachelor party. Yeah. Hopefully, we can do this again sometime. Man. Absolutely, this is great. Yeah. All right, man. Listen, thank you. You got anything else you wanted? Uh, the only question I did have is, what do you? Th- you kind of very briefly touched on it earlier, but what do you think is going to happen with this debt ceiling? Ah, oh, the debt ceiling. It'll be are resolved. They, are they going to print a trillion dollar coin? No, they don't need to print a trillion dollar coin. <laughs> Usually, what happens is, you know, they delay, delay, delay. Oh yeah, we're having a breakthrough. No, we're not. Blah blah blah. Back and forth, and then you know, you get to the date. Oh, the date's coming. The market starts tanking, right? And then they get religion and like, okay, yeah, sure, we're going to print. We're just going to raise the debt ceiling. It's like, why Why do we go through this song and dance? So the Republicans are probably going to get some concession on some particular piece of policy they think is going to be important in the next election from the Democrats. And then they're in the last minute, they're going to come to a deal and they'll raise it by some token amount. And then everybody's happy again. And have some Bitcoin ready. Yeah, because, and it's going to be interesting, the timing of that, because is that going to coincide with sort of like the fall harvest cycle when we usually get financial, you know, disruption events with so the, the banking crisis and then you have the federal government issuing trillions of dollars of debt because they need to fund themselves. Like you're basically putting this powder keg together of a situation that's going to be exploding in Q3 and Q4 this year. And so, you know, while I think ultimately it will be good for Bitcoin, it could be quite volatile on the up and the downside. Okay. All right. Well, don't trade it. <laughs> well, if you're if if that's your thing and you're very good at you know short term market movements and you're dedicated to your craft and you're on your phone or your computer all day, yes, trade it. If you think that you can call the markets while you're at the pub and then you wake up in the morning and you're wrecked, well, then you maybe should try a new thing. I'm not <laughs> going to do it. Yeah, I've been terrible at it. Arthur, man, great to meet you. Thank you for coming on. Awesome. Good to see you. Enjoy your bachelor party. Thank you. 
come on, how good is Arthur? I still can't believe he travels with a, with a suitcase full of teddy bears. I thought someone was winding me up. But no, it is true. He travels with a suitcase full of teddy bears. But listen, it was great to sit down with him and shoot the shit. And at some point in the future, I'd love to have a longer chat with him. So fingers crossed we can make round two happen. Anyway, hope you enjoyed it. I'll see you all later in the week. 